Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Hard Currency, the weekly podcast on the foreign exchange market from the Financial Times. I'm Roger Blitz, and this week we'll be talking about the prospects for emerging markets currencies with my guest, Kamaksha Trivedi from Goldman Sachs. Uh, investors are looking at the possibility of a Fed rate hike in June and perhaps September. And with commodity prices now looking pretty choppy, thanks to China tightening liquidity, is the emerging markets uh, FX rally that we've seen this year, is it done for or is there further to go? Kamaksha, what's your general view on that? My general view on that is that there's more to run. Um, I think it's true that we have a Fed rate hike coming up in June and in September, But I think the shift in emerging market fundamentals, the improvement in external balances, the fact that they enjoy much higher real rates than they used to in the past, um, makes them better able to absorb Mm -hmm. the shocks from developed market rate shifts. And so I think EMs in general are in a better place to withstand a 25 basis point hike um, once a quarter, provided it is delivered clearly and it's delivered alongside stronger growth. Um, so I'm not too worried about the Fed rate hike itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as you get towards the end of the year and you see potentially some adjustment to the balance sheet as well from the FOMC, I think that could potentially be more problematic for, for emerging market currencies because what we have found in our research is that EM currencies often respond more to shifts in the back end of the curve yes. than, 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 than shifts in the front end, uh, front end rate markets. Okay, let's delve a bit deeper. Um, the commodity pressures coming from China, what's, what's happening in China that's causing this? So it's clear that Chinese policy authorities are tightening policy, and it does look very much like nominal growth in China has peaked. You had a very strong first quarter GDP print of 6.9%, accompanied by relatively high inflationary pressures. And I think Chinese authorities, as they have often done over the past couple of years, are tightening policy from a position of strength. Do we call it an economic slowdown, or is that stretching it? I think at this point it is stretching it. We've had one month where the PMI has mm. has sequentially come down. Um, I think you're seeing a deceleration, is what I would describe it as, from a relatively high level. And from if you probably take Q1 and Q2 together, you're probably going to end up with higher growth or stronger growth than most people were expecting at the start of the year. So yes, this is a deceleration. Yes, things are are sequentially slowing. But I don't think when we look at sort of broader demand indicators that there is something here to worry about, you know, intensely. But th- there is worry perhaps on uh, from the OPEC side. We've got a meeting of that coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, American shale gas is obviously a big issue and Brent crude is, is moving around a great deal. Current oil FX is, is typically reacting as it normally does. So we are back into those old days of, um, of, of volatility. 
Yeah, so I think oil prices and commodity prices are a real concern. I think, you know, a couple of points to mention there. First, if you look at the fall in oil prices, they look to be led by the back end of the curve, you know, longer end oil prices falling. And what I take away from that is that when we look at demand for oil statistics, they still look pretty firm across the world. Right. So it just doesn't feel like a broader global slowdown that is causing commodity prices to come off. That would be a big problem for yes. emerging market currencies as well. This looks more like what you said, which is shale producers responding pretty strongly and oil supply coming up, and that's sort of causing the, 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 fall in, uh, the fall in oil prices. We still expect that as you move into the summer months, that oil balances will tighten and prices will be higher than where you are. Not much higher, but higher than where you are at, uh, at current levels uh, for the second half of the year. And that should support some of the emerging market currencies. What I'd also mention is if you look at how even the most oily or the oil-sensitive emerging market currencies like the ruble, like the Colombian peso, like the Mexican peso have responded in this current drawdown in mm. oil prices. They've actually been more resilient than their historical uh, historical sensitivity would suggest. Mm. And what we've found in our research is that as long as oil prices are in some sort of a range, say on Brent prices between 45 and $55 per barrel, um, these currencies can continue to be supported by capital inflows and by their strong fundamentals. It's when it sort of breaks down below sort of $45 per barrel, that's when it starts getting Which a bit more hairy. Yet. But it's never quiet for EM, is it? It's either China or it's oil or it's Donald Trump and trade. Is that issue still lurking in the background? Well, that's what makes EM fun. Um, <laughs> um, oh, tell me about it. Yeah. Um, trade. I mean, I think if you look relative to where we came into the year, where trade worries were top of mind for a lot of investors, especially EM investors, what we've seen so far um, are more measured actions from, from, the, from the Trump team. Um, and you know, more measured rhetoric as well relative to the, the rhetoric you, that you saw in the campaign. I thought you were going to say measured inaction. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, you could and, – and I think that the, the judgment that I think investors need to make is that is this protectionist action delayed because mm. the entire team is not yet together or is the threat of protectionist action altogether eliminated? I don't think you can be completely sure that it has been eliminated. I think uh, there is still some risk. But it is true true that markets have taken a more sanguine view of this, in particular, if you look at, you know, currencies of places like Mexico, even parts of Asia, which have the large current account surpluses with respect to the U.S., um, there's no sign in the, uh, in, 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 in the, you know, the strength of those currencies doesn't suggest much sign of a trade risk premium there. It's all very good, Kashi. I mean, we can't not talk about carry. Um, what you You talk about good carry against bad carry. Just explain uh, briefly. So I think the interesting thing in emerging markets is typically the yield on offer or the carry on offer is always high. These are these are these are Indeed. riskier currencies and the carry is high. So you try but, and differentiate. Exactly. You... And and but the but the difference I think this time around is that your typically high carry currencies, which are supposed to be the riskier ones, mm. take for example your Brazil's, your Russia's, your India's, uh, your South Africa's, uh, even even Colombia, Mexico is sort of squeezing into that category. They tend to be the riskier ones because they have the worst economic fundamentals. What is interesting in this particular point in the cycle is that these countries have some of the most, you know, most clearly improving fundamentals. So they are 
they have not only high yield or high carry on offer, but they also have the better macro fundamentals on offer, which is why we've called them good carry. The valuations are support, you know, have been supportive. Um, current account balances in many of these countries have improved remarkably since uh, since 2012, 2013, when you had the taper tantrum. Uh, on average, across emerging markets, you have the best current account position since the mid 2000s, and probably the most. Uh, interesting thing for these good carry currencies is that they're seeing inflation come down at a time when across the world, and especially in the US, inflation is is going up. Um, So it's the combination of good fundamentals and high carry that we we call good carry. Um, All good fundamentals. Politically, uh, these risks are still there, or are they? I mean, we're not really... I mean, Turkey is, is still got a great deal of political issues. There are, there are protests and riots in South Africa. I mean, surely investors you know, need to keep this in mind as well, shouldn't they? Absolutely. And I think political risk is never far from an EM investor's mind. I mean, I think you mentioned South Africa, the recent, uh, you know, almost wholesale replacement of the the cabinet, including the the respective finance minister, I think was an example of that in Brazil. We're struggling to get some, you know, much needed pension and labor market reforms through the assembly. So, you know, political risk, you know, is very much there. It it hasn't gone away. Uh, What I would say, though, is that political risk, to some extent, is always a feature of, I think, of emerging market investing. What is spreading away from emerging markets towards development. Indeed, you have uh, EM-style political risk coming to DM. I think the difference this time around is that Whereas in previous perhaps periods, and certainly in you know, 2013, 14, 15, when we've been very negative on EM, you had both the economics and the politics pointing towards weaker currencies and weaker asset prices. Whereas right now, the politics might still be volatile, but much of the economics has improved, and that's what's pointing or pushing towards stronger, stronger asset markets. Okay, right. Two final things, Kamanshu. First of all, the obvious question about EM, where? How do you differentiate? Where where do you recommend? What's your where don't you recommend? Right. So you know we've um, we are pretty constructive, like I said, on the the high carry countries with good fundamentals. That includes places like uh, Brazil, the Brazilian real, South African rand, um, the Indian rupee, and the Russian ruble. We also have a very strong forecast for. Dollar Mex, so the Mexican peso, uh, which is, as I said, is sort of beginning to exhibit many of these similarly improving fundamental properties. Uh, we like Colombia, which is again falling into the same camp. We are still relatively more neutral or negative on the Turkish lira, where you know there's a scope to improve, but we haven't yet seen uh, you know credible uh, credible evidence that they are going to keep the real rate high. And we are somewhat more negative on the low yielders of of Asia, so places like the the Korean won, um, where we uh, where we see underperformance relative to forward and markets. Finally, what are the risks to these um, forecasts? I think the biggest downside risk um, is something we touched on before: oil prices mm-hmm. and commodity prices. Even if they're not being driven by a broad-based China or growth slowdown, and I don't think they are. I think if you do see even a supply-driven sharp move lower in oil prices or commodity prices, a lot of emerging markets are big commodity producers, and the terms of trade shock that hits them will require the currencies to adjust. So to me, that is the biggest downside risk. Um, 
we don't often talk about upside risks, but one of the things um, that I think is fairly striking is that if you open a newspaper or Bloomberg, like or like the Financial Times, the headlines um, and a lot of the stories are about the end of globalization, um, trade wars, protectionism. If you look at actual trade data, yes. you're seeing the strongest growth strong. in trade since the great trade slowdown of mm. 2011 to 2015. And emerging markets tend to be more leveraged to a trade upswing than almost any other country. So I think one shouldn't lose sight that there are upside risks as well as downside I, risks. I, I hope you're not suggesting to investors that they stop reading newspapers. <laughs> not at all, okay. especially not the Financial Times. <laughs> My thanks to Kamakshia Trivedi from Goldman Sachs. Join us again next week on Hard Currency when there'll be plenty more to discuss, including lots of China data coming out. Until then, it's goodbye.